Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Father, thank you so much for this day. Praise be to you that we can gather together. Holy Spirit, come as we study Luke chapter 15, a text that might be familiar to us. Show us more of yourself. Call us into deeper faithfulness. Show us what it means to be your disciples. Holy Spirit, come, lead and guide us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Today we're going to be exploring kind of two parables where people lose something and make a desperate search to find it. So I actually have a question for us, for you to discuss in your families. You can even post your answers on our form. Here's the question. Name a time when you have lost something and desperately searched to find it. For me, a story of when we searched desperately for something is when, as kids, we went to Disneyland. And when we came out of the parking lot, we couldn't find our rental car. And I know what you kids might be thinking, wow, what a dream, you're trapped at Disneyland. And although it might be a dream for kids, I think it's a nightmare for parents. And you see, this is the early 90s. These were dark days. And what we had to do is basically, there were no, none of those key fobs that you could press and makes the little beeping noise to go find your car. You had to act like a common criminal and just go around to random cars and try to stick your key in there and see if it worked. I'll tell you two things that we did that day. We searched and we searched hard. And the second thing we did, we rejoiced when we found our vehicle. And today as we spend time in Luke, we're gonna see how our God not only seeks, but also rejoices when he finds what was lost. So join me, if you have your Bibles, feel free to open up to Luke chapter 15 verses. We're gonna read a couple verses at a time and slowly work our way through the text. So let me begin with a reading from chapter 15 verses one and two. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Hmm. We have two groups of people, and it's key to understand who these two groups are and what their attitudes are toward Jesus. In this first group, we have these tax collectors and these sinners. And tax collectors, amongst the Roman Empire, the Romans had outsourced their tax their taxation system and basically people would bid for this opportunity and then go amongst their own people and gather these taxes. They would also extort their own people and gather more money than was necessary. They were hated by their own community. If they went to a synagogue, their offerings would actually be rejected. And check this out. Liberal rabbis and conservative rabbis alike both despised tax collectors. Just think what it takes in our modern world to get the far right and the far left to unify on something. Yet this is what tax collectors did. They were hated by everyone. I was trying to think of a modern day equivalent of a tax collector and the best thing that comes to my mind is like a CRA scam artist. Someone who calls you on behalf of the CRA legal department trying to embezzle money from you. You know, if your kid decided to be like, hey, I want to be a CRA scam artist for life. I mean, maybe you'd be proud as a parent. I would have a tough time if my kids made that life choice. But hey, just say it. These tax collectors were despised and we see them gathering with this, this group called the sinners. And this is a generic term often referring to ceremonial uncleanliness or people who had occupations like uh, prostitution or working as a pig farmer, which we'll actually see in next week's text. And these were people whose lives were incompatible with the law of Moses. 
Yet we have, we see all throughout Luke, these tax collectors and these sinners. And what are they doing? The Word of God says they're gathering around Jesus. Actually, if you look at the Greek word there, we see it in Matthew as the kingdom of God is drawing near. These people are drawing near to Jesus. They're pressing in and they're trying to learn more about who he is. They're so attracted and amazed about who this Christ is. Yet if you want to see the opposite of that attitude, look at the second group over here. We have these Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Here were the religious elites, the people who knew the law of Moses the best, Yet, as we have seen throughout the book of Luke. Their attitude toward Christ was growing more and more hostile, to the point now where they were trying to entrap him and have him arrested. And if you want to see what their attitude was, well, just look at the Bible. There's one beautiful word. They muttered. What a beautiful word. You could just, you know, we all have people in our life who mutter. Some of us mutter. And it's a way of kind of dealing with stress and doing different things. Yet, when we mutter, and these Pharisees were muttering, they're muttering because it's just, they're passive, aggressive, and they were angry at Jesus, and they were disgusted that he would hang out with these low lives. Yet, Jesus hears this muttering, this attitude of the Pharisees, this judgmental nature, and what he does is tell three parables, two of which we'll look at today. And so before we dive into unpacking these two parables, which I'm calling the parable of the shepherd and the parable of the woman, simply because the main character is what points us to our God, there are some themes that are going to continually come up that are important to note. In both parables, we're going to see something that was lost, a search, a recovery, and joy. Lost, search, recovery, and joy. And another question we have to ask is, why does Jesus even tell a parable in the first place? Why not just directly teach uh, the Pharisees what he wants to teach them? Well, a parable is kind of an indirect way of teaching. It's a familiar mode that Jesus uses often to teach about the kingdom of God. Now, a parable is not an allegory where every character represents some part of society. Yet, based, what a parable is trying to do is communicate a main point. And I think today as we look at the main characters, we're going to discern what this main point is. So let's read the first parable about the shepherd in verses 3 to 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. We're going to see three themes come up in this first parable. The pursuit of the shepherd, the nature of sheep, and the joy of the shepherd. Now, when we talk about how the shepherd pursues his sheep, I have to confess I'm a bit of an urbanite. I've always lived in different urban settings my entire life. And so when I hear about having 99 sheep and one sheep going missing, I know they're cute, I know they're fluffy, and they're adorable. But if I had 100 sheep and I lost one, I would think to myself, yeah, you know what? 
I have 99 still, sheep breed, I could be back over 100 in a couple days. Is it really worth it to go all over the world chasing after this one sheep? Yet as I was thinking about this, I realized it's the wrong question. Because what this parable is about is about the attitude of God. Now, scholars believe that this shepherd would have left the other sheep in the care of helpers. Yet, here's the thing. This parable is about a God who pursues what is lost. And I believe that if there were 10,000 sheep and one went missing, he would have still pursued that one lost sheep. Now, sheep are a fascinating creature. Now, I'd rather have a dog in my house even though I'm allergic. But here's the thing about a dog, why I love dogs. If you lose a dog, a dog can often find its way home. A dog, if it's trapped in the wild, has some ability to defend itself. And a dog, if you found it, you could just put a leash on it and guide it home. Now, sheep aren't renowned to be as smart as dogs. If a sheep is, sheep just eat grass. They're just going to chase grass all over the place. They're going to be, I'm going to eat some grass, 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 following it up a hill to its like impending doom and death. Even if there's a wolf there, it's just going to follow the grass around. Sheep also have a really limited ability to defend themselves in the wild. And if you found a sheep who was lost for days and underdressed, I've, I was reading that you wouldn't even be able to just guide them home. You would actually have to bind their feet and pick them up and carry them home, just as the shepherd does. So as Tim Keller says, when the Bible refers to us as sheep, it's not exactly a compliment. He calls it a spiritual insult, which I find amusing. Sheep aren't the smartest of creatures, and they're in desperate need of rescuing. Yet, look at the joy of the shepherd as he pursues his sheep. Now, going back to my Disneyland example, when we lost our car, the first thing when we came home was that we didn't throw a party and invite our friends, say, come look, we lost our car at Disneyland, but now we've found it. Come, eat, drink, let's be merry and have a great time. It would actually be embarrassing to throw a party like that. But what this parable is trying to communicate is that about how God reacts to seeing and finding lost people. Look what he does. He joyfully picks up that sheep and puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He, when he arrives home, he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. You know? And even heaven explodes in joy and celebration at the one sheep that was found who was lost. Here's the main point of the parable. Our God rejoices, our God celebrates, and our God is filled with joy, even when one sheep that was lost is found. This is the delight of his heart. Remember, those tax collectors and sinners are coming to Jesus, and the Pharisees are just muttering. Jesus is trying to explain to the Pharisees that God delights in seeing any person even if it's a tax collector, a sinner, or even a CRA scam artist, come to him. God delights, God seeks, God rejoices. As we look into the second parable, we're going to see these similar themes emerge. Read with me in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, 
there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Remember that common theme that occurs in both. Something is lost, a search, recovery, and joy. Now, so just some thoughts on this second parable of this woman. The drachma, which or the silver coin that she has, she has 10 of them, and losing one is about a day's wages. So this is a significant sum of money to her. And yes, she would have to light a lamp, even if it's the middle of the day, because a house in the ancient Near East just would have had a small window that you would have needed to light a lamp and use those resources to search for your lost coin. I love how she makes a careful search. You know, this is not like my kids looking for their lost Duplo piece. This is like me or my wife scrambling and looking for our lost wedding ring. And when they find what was lost, they celebrate. Even this poor woman who doesn't have many resources invites her friends and neighbors over for a party. Listen, if I was her financial advisor, I would say, listen, you don't have that many resources. You know, maybe call them up, say hi, tell them, hey, look, I found something great that I lost. Don't waste your money on this. But the point of this parable is it wants to communicate that our God rejoices when what was lost is now found. I think if you were to go on the street and ask random people if they believed in God, how would they describe him? You'd get, you know, caricatures, old man, the white hipster beard. You'd get like colorful language that I can't really use here. People who see God as distant, people who see God as all-powerful, loving, kind. I don't know how many people would say, you know what? I see God as being full of joy or like God rejoices or God celebrates or like God is like a kid in a candy store. Yet what we get here in Luke chapter 15 is a picture of God, a God who is filled with joy, who's overflowing with joy. And you know what? This isn't just the story of the God of Luke 15. This is the story of the entire Bible. For you see, God created the world and he created us in his image. He took delight in us and enjoyed us and delighted to watch us. Yet. When he gave us the choice to follow him, we chose to do our own thing, which is what the Bible calls sin. Yet God delighted in us and pursued us even when we turned our back on him over and over again, sending his son Jesus, born of a woman, living a perfect life, and choosing and dying on the cross for our sins so that whoever would confess their sin would be restored in relationship with Christ. Our God delights in us so much that he sent his son to die for us. God seeks, God rejoices, and God delights in those who repent and turn back to him. Now I know some of you might hear that word repentance and just associate it with condemnation or judgment, yet for me in my life, I find repentance is what saves the relationships I have with others. You see, when I mess up, when I'm mean to my wife, when I'm unkind to my kids or harsh with them, when I repent, when I confess what I've done is wrong, it's the beginning of reconciliation in those relationships. You see, it's when I make excuses and don't admit what I did was wrong is when we slowly start to drift in our relationships with others. 
Repentance is what restores relationships. And repentance is how we begin our relationship with the God of the universe. And repenting is how we continually turn to him daily, even after we have become Christians. Repentance is actually a beautiful thing that draws us into greater intimacy with the God of the universe. Our God seeks and our God rejoices. So where, where do we go from here? I have a couple questions for us to consider. First, have you ever repented and turned back to God? If you don't consider yourself a Christian or not quite sure, have you ever repented, confessed your sins to Him, and, be, and to start to begin a new relationship with Him? If you don't know how to do that, feel free to ask somebody you know, even contact myself or Pastor Andrew. We'd love to just help you take that step. Another question I have is, when you think about your life, do you think you're too far gone? Do you think to yourself, well, oh, Pastor Tim, if you knew what I thought or what I did or how I acted, you would understand that God would never have me back. Yet here's the thing we see in Luke 15. God takes joy in us when we repent and turn back to him. He delights to pursue us when we turn our back to him. My word to you is you are never too far gone to turn back to Christ. He loves you and is awaiting with open arms for those who confess and return to him. A couple more questions. Do I take my status with God for granted? Am I more content to be one of the 99, or do I delight like God does to see more and more people turn to him? And finally, do I rejoice with God when he rescues people I don't love? Whether he rescues those who I think are sexist or racist or bigoted or prejudiced? Do I rejoice that God loves those people as well and delight in the way that he delights when he pursues those people in love? You see, heaven is hungry for more people to know Christ. Our God is a God who seeks, and our God is a God who rejoices. Before I invite Pastor Andrew to lead us in communion, I want to give you some time to reflect on these questions and prepare yourselves for communion.